Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, our three-week series, uh, has carried on a bit further. And one of the reasons that I did not last week just push through and finish up is that we had a lot of great questions that had come in. And, and to try to just uh, force them into last week's time, I think would have done a disservice to just the honesty and the vulnerability of people who are asking these great questions about what we have taught in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And uh, I don't want to reteach uh, what the series is or Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, if you would like to listen to previous messages, those are on lwrv.org. They're on our YouTube channel. You can find them in a lot of different places. And you're welcome to listen to those um, as we've talked about what it looks like to be emotionally and spiritually mature and our understanding that it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. So what we are asking for in fullness of life and fullness of relationship with Jesus is that we would come into full maturity emotionally. And to do that, though, means that we have to sometimes face in to things that we would otherwise ignore. Okay, so, um, and I think I just thought of like, okay, maybe some of you haven't been here for any of the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series. So let me see if I can give you a quick example of why this matters. Um, how many of you are familiar with the five love languages? Five love languages. Okay, so the five love languages, keep your hands up. I didn't make it all the way around. I didn't turn fast enough. <laughs> Who's familiar with it? Okay, so I see it is fam you're familiar with this concept of every person um, falls into this category, uh, one of the five categories of love languages, and you receive love in this way. Okay, so the five love languages being words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. Um, can you show me down just a little bit more? Um, so these five love languages are, these are the ways that you receive love, right? And so we understand that. So if we're talking about emotionally healthy spirituality, let me, let me explain it like this. The five love languages and these, these buckets that you receive love in, it's a great concept. Here, I'm going to go right in on, on love language. You're like, I read this book in my premarital counseling. Okay, here's what I would say. For the most part, it's awesome. But what it can also be is that my love language that I am saying, hey, I receive love as words of affirmation. This is what I need from Kate, my wife, is to give me words of affirmation. And so I begin to live out of this acknowledged need that I am a person who needs words of affirmation. Give me my words of affirmation. And we, be, we have this healthy communication about words of affirmation. Why they come? Give me my words of affirmation, right? Unfortunately, I never look any layers deeper to ask why is my bucket of words of affirmation slightly broken? Why is it emptying so quickly that I am always feeling a need for a word of affirmation from everybody who I respect or look up to or is present in my life? So emotionally healthy spirituality is looking for, if you're gonna use this as an example, it would be looking at these five buckets and saying, which one of these are the things that are being poured into me are pouring out just as quickly so that I'm always having that need. Emotional health is saying, what if God is able 
people to meet me at that particular bucket, that word of affirmation or the physical touch or the acts of service. What if there is something in me where there is such a lack that it cannot be filled and no matter how many words of affirmation I receive, I'm still gonna feel like I need more words of affirmation because it's a broken bucket. So instead of learning how to get more words of affirmation from our spouse, we learn to go to the Lord and ask the question, why is it that I have a, a deficit or a place that is slightly cracked in this bucket where words of affirmation are something that I always need. Now, don't, please don't hear me say that all of the concept of five love languages are terrible or if you have a way that you receive love, it's clearly a sign that you're broken. Don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. That's how people get wounded in church. See, I just, it's not, that's gaslighting. Okay, so, which is also how people get wounded in church. Um, <clears throat> so I don't, I'm not saying that the whole concept is bad or anything like that, but I'm, what I'm proposing is that it's an opportunity for us to look a little bit deeper and ask the question, why is it? Why is it? And I think in asking that question, you might discover some of your story would begin to unfold of there are some places where you didn't receive affirmation or you had to earn it always. You had to perform always. And so you're constantly living now under this, this act of performance. And if you are not receiving a word of affirmation, your performance is invalid. And so you're constantly saying, you know what I need is a, I need words of affirmation. See, there's things that we can go a little bit deeper in than in these things. And so that's why I think emotionally healthy spirituality is, is so important. Um, okay, makes sense? Right, okay. And just receiving gifts, people are the worst. I'm kidding. We could do a whole, Drew and I could probably do a whole comedy sketch on, on, on the love, love languages. And they're, and they're great. And they really are an awesome concept for, for relationships. And they're also very funny. Where are my gifts? <clears throat> okay. <sighs> okay. Okay, so here's some questions that people, we're just gonna jump into questions that people gave us during our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series. I'm gonna do my best to answer them. And, um, can I, can I tell you, can I tell them about our conversation? Come on. She was like, I, I've seen some people doing um, question and response. And I was like, that's so millennial. Like, you shouldn't say answers. You should say just responding to people's questions. And I'm like, I have worked far too hard and spent far too many hours to not be able to say, here's a good answer to your question. <laughs> Questions and response. Let me give you some responses. I got a response for you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I get, I so get the idea. We are not the arbiters of truth. And just because I'm on the stage and hold a microphone doesn't mean that I have all the answers. So I 100% agree with that. But I would love to attempt in humility, <laughs> uh, which is my love language, um, to give you some answers. So question one. Emotional healthy spirituality, we've been talking about looking at our emotions, asking the questions why, and, and, and asking God to meet us in those places, and to feel, feel things that maybe we've learned to suppress and we've learned to push down. We want to feel these things. And in feeling these things, the goal is not just to feel them. The goal is to say, why are these here in my life? And are these emotions that I have suppressed or pushed down or ignored, are they affecting my behaviors? Are they affecting my beliefs? Are they affecting my thoughts? Are they affecting the way that I look at others, at myself, at God? And we're, 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 we're going on this journey toward emotional health. But to get there, you have to ask a lot of these hard questions and be open to it. And the question was this, if I do this, everything comes apart. Anybody feel that? Like, if I start to feel things, if I open up the Pandora's box, so to speak, of these things that I've been 
managing for years, maybe everything just blows apart. How do you do this in normal life? And so here's my encouragement to you. Um, For those that might be asking that question, how do we do this in normal life? He is faithful to walk with you into these emotions and into this journey, and he's faithful to walk with you through the journey. His goal isn't to have you have a breakdown. He's not wringing his hands like, oh, but open it up. Let's watch your life fall apart. Like God does not want your life to fall apart. He does not want you to have a breakdown. But there's a really good chance (laughs) that if you don't deal with the deeper realities of your spiritual and emotional life, you are going to have a breakdown. So it is not God causing a breakdown. It is God helping you avoid a breakdown by giving you a breakdown. No, I'm kidding. Um, I love you guys, but if you're just holding everything together and just and staying under some semblance of control, there's a really good chance that you may not recognize it, but holding it all together is actually leaking out on other people. And the things that you're not dealing with are still impacting you, your heart, and the people around your life. So we can continue to ignore and do the religious behavior stuff and we can ignore the things that are going on, but we have to understand that in ignoring those things, you are still impacting and affecting and leaking out onto the people around you. I would say it like this, as I, uh, is that there are seeds on your life and everywhere you go, you are dropping those seeds and those seeds are coming to life in the soil of relationships and people around you. What kind of seeds are you dropping? What kind of seeds am I dropping? And I want us to pay attention to those things. And I understand that just tackling this stuff in the midst of normal life feels extremely overwhelming. But you have a choice. You can either cause yourself to pause If we're using the breakdown example, think of it as a vehicle and uh, you're leaking a little bit of oil. There's some tires that need to be rotated. There's some things that need to be taken care of. You can go, oh, don't worry about it. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Like, forget about it. Or you can pay attention and say, you know what? We probably need to take this car in for a time of maintenance or we need to pull it into the garage, take some things apart and get it to a place where it is now okay to drive around. Because Just like in our life, if we don't stop sometimes and take care of the things that God is pointing out, then it is, there is going to be a breakdown, but the breakdown doesn't get to be chosen. The spot you break down doesn't get to be chosen. It's going to be a place where you could be out there pushing way too far, going way too far, and it breaks down. That vehicle breaks down. And sometimes the vehicle of our spiritual or emotional life, when we're not caring for it, we haven't been taught to care for it, and we ignore the warning signs, there will be a breakdown. Where is it going to happen? I would rather that we choose to do it within community, within safety, within within the process that God is giving to us or offering to us instead of just pushing, pushing, pushing until it happens. That's not God's heart for us. And I want to say this too, is that too often we equate breakdown to failure of faith rather than, than the inevitable result of faith. So if this faith, this journey with Jesus isn't working for you, I want to say, join me and everybody else, because the whole point of me putting my faith in Jesus is that everything that is working on its own starts to 
kind of fall apart because the whole point is that I'm placing all of my life on Jesus. And so my old coping mechanisms and my old feelings of control and the ways that I might get the things that I want, those things used to make life work. But the whole point of faith is that I am now throwing myself onto Jesus and those old ways of doing things, they no longer work. So when I'm saying to you, following Jesus means you're gonna constantly, you're gonna, not constantly, you're gonna feel a lot of times like this isn't working. That's the point of faith is that you're releasing the old things that used to work in order to rely fully on Jesus. And he is allowing us to come to that place of radical dependence on him, even if it means that some of our mechanisms and ways of getting what we want and doing the things and controlling stuff all come apart. The more that I anchor my life in Jesus, the more that the inauthentic and counterfeit things will fall away. And it's easy for that to feel like this isn't working. It is working. It is working. Okay? Okay. So, if I do this, everything comes apart. How do I do this in normal life? I would say approaching this as preventative care rather than diagnostic care. Preventative care is this. We're looking at our life and we're saying, I want to get ahead of this breakdown as opposed to waiting for the breakdown and then diagnosing it and going, well, there's your problem, right? Why is it that when you are a kid and you're learning to take care of a car and you, the car breaks down and your dad shows up to pick you up and he's joking around and like your head gasket has blown and there's oil leaking and he's like, well, there's the problem. Like, thanks, Dad. But why? Because he's been telling you, change the oil, rotate the tires, fill the blinker fluid. He's telling you to do these things over and over and over. And when you're not doing them and you break down, your dad's, your father's going to show up and go, what, what happened here? And so what we want is we don't want to wait until the breakdown and go, there's your problem. There's your problem. We would love to be people as a community who say, what does it look like to be proactive in our emotional and spiritual health and our discipleship with Jesus to get ahead of this stuff, to approach it more like we're going to the gym. You guys all go to the gym. I mean, we all, we all have tried to go to the gym. We've done, we've done the January thing, right? Where everybody's like, we're all signing up. We're all gonna do a thing. We're gonna, we're gonna change, this is it. Why does that fail? Because we try to do everything all at once. We're like lifting this thing and we're running and we're eat changing our diet and we're changing what we want. We're changing our sleep pattern, all of that stuff. It's good because it's preventative care, but if we get carried away trying to do everything right out of the gate instead of having patience with the process that the Lord has us in, we might run ahead and burn ourselves out. I want us to be people who do approach this like a gym community where we celebrate each other when we're working on things and we're, we're tackling different areas of unhealth to bring them into health and when we're doing those things. I love that. That is preventative. And I think that the point of us, how do we do this? How do we survive? How do we make this work within regular life? Don't wait for a breakdown. Do preventative care on your emotions, and on your heart, and on your spiritual life and your spiritual health and be in a community like this where we can do that together, right? Okay, question two. We'll speed this up. Um, I want to stop feeling, not feel more. How do I stop feeling? Uh, well, a lot of you have brought this up of saying like, I am in a state of consistent or what feels like on the verge of a consistent emotional breakdown. I feel like if I don't pull out of it, I'm not able, I'm not going to be able to function as a parent, as a, as a spouse, as a friend. 
And that can be very real, is that I'm up here saying, let's unpack, let's, let's take a look at the things that you're not feeling. Let's take a look at the things that you're suppressing. Let's, let's even ask really hard questions about your history, your timeline, traumas that you've experienced, stuff that's going on that is affecting you. And you're out there being like, I am looking at that stuff every day. I would love to be able to figure out how to not have this emotional, be feel like I'm on this verge of an emotional breakdown. And I, and I just want you to know that you are seen and you are heard. You don't want to live like this forever. And so while EHS is about paying, emotionally healthy spirituality is about paying attention to why we do what we do. It's about attuning to our emotion or our lack of emotion. It's about allowing God to meet us at the source of those emotions, to unblock the flow of them. You may not have that problem this morning. You may be the opposite. Too aware of emotions, too aware of the hurts of your past, too aware of whatever it might be, and you don't want to live like this forever. But numbing isn't a safe or healthy option. So when we sense big emotions or we feel, and big emotions make us feel out of control, depression is often the result. And I'm not just talking about clinical depression. I'm saying when I feel, this is me speaking, when I feel large out of control emotions, my response is to depress them, to figure out a way to control them, to numb them, to manage them and to depress them. And that is where I can fall into that place of not having, of, of being numb to my emotions or to parts of my emotional journey and my emotional life. And that's not where I want any of us to be. It's not where I want to be and it's not where I want any of us to be. So while when we feel big emotions that are out of control, I think that this is such a simple tool, but I want to give it to you guys. The feeling wheel is a rad tool that if you guys will look it up, it basically is, it has our basic emotions and it has layers in a circle and out from that is your basic emotions, more of them, and then more of them. And what it is, is it's helping us define and be able to articulate what we're feeling. Now, articulating what we're feeling is not the solution. It's not like the end goal, but it is so valuable when we're starting to feel out of control around our emotions. What do you feel? I don't know what I feel. To be able to say, I feel blank then you've begun to see and have a sense of healthy control rather than just trying to control emotions through numbing. And you can ask the question, where are you coming from? Okay? So while I cannot encourage you to stop feeling, I will encourage you also, beyond the feeling wheel wheel tool, I will encourage you to have a safe place with people who you can let it out. You can let it flow. Create a place in your physical life and your spiritual world to grieve, to agonize, to vent, and visit it as often as is needed. But learn, I don't even want to say learn to leave it there because I think that's a, that can be a misconception. But having a place where I can go, whether that's a person or that's a, a part of my prayer journey where I'm alone, or if it's a community of people who I know and trust and I can go to them and I don't have to put on any performance, I don't have to pretend or anything, and I can just let it out. I, In a sense, I'm leaving it there. I don't mean leave it there like, oh, all better. I mean, I am allowing this 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 the scripture for us to bear one another's burden, to be fruitful in my life where I can share my burden with other people. And in so doing, I'm taking some of it off of my heart and some of it off of my shoulders. And now I have an ability to go, okay, I now life feels more manageable because I have safe people and places to let some of this out while I'm in the process. Does that make sense? Okay. So 
Also, I would encourage you, as you're working through the physical responses to it, a counselor, a therapist is, is so vital to your journey of letting some of this out. If you're dealing with huge, with large traumas or wounds or pains or out of control emotions, having somebody that you trust to lay it out to, awesome. Having somebody that has the professional and, under, and wisdom to be able to hear you and then help you and give you tools, also awesome. So I would add that as a tool is to speak to a counselor or a therapist and make that a regular part of your life. One of the reasons that people are so hurt, have been so hurt by church in the past is that we want to try to be everything to everybody. Like, oh yeah, come and talk to me and then we'll do this and we'll do that and we'll do that. That's, that's not healthy. I don't have the ability, the understanding, or the expertise to be able to help everybody, or maybe that many people at all. But there are people out there that do, and so for us, reaching out to those people is extremely important. Um, also, here's, here, remember this. Our stuff isn't going anywhere. You will often hear us say the phrase, you are not in a race, and your mess does not disqualify you. You may see a closet full of stuff but that doesn't mean that you have to pull it all out at the same time, strew it about your house, spread it around, and live in it. Inviting Jesus into that place is to trust him to open up the hidden places, the closets full of junk, to open those up and to take out the things that we're ready to deal with and that he's, he wants us to deal with in that place. So just because you know that there are closets and spaces full of stuff to deal with doesn't mean that you have to rip it all out and make a huge mess of your life in the midst of it. So being okay, knowing I have a lot of things that I'm dealing with right now, that's, that's true. Number one, that's true. Number two, you're not in a race. You don't have to pull it all out and deal with it by next week. Take a deep breath. Release that pressure. He knows where you are. He's not going anywhere. You're, you're walking through hard things. Me walking through hard things does not disqualify us. So we can allow the timing and the presence of the Spirit of God to lead us in and through the things in the timing that he has for us to go through this stuff. I would say this, we say this a lot of times to couples that come and meet with us and they're like, my marriage is so hard. And we're like, well, tell me why your marriage is so difficult. And it's like, because we're just constantly working and we're working and we're working. We go to this class and then we come home and we practice this communication tool that we've been given. And then in the morning we, we get up and we read our word together and we share it and we journal together and we talk about all the reasons why we're, we're having a hard time with one another. And then we're, but we're working on our marriage and then we're reading this book together and we're doing this thing. And, and I may be exaggerating, but it feels like that. And I'm like, like, whoa, wow, if you are constantly working on your marriage, you are not enjoying your marriage, and you have turned your marriage into a job or a project to fix, rather than what it is meant to be is a deep well of joy. And so what we teach people is this, in your marriage, you take a step with your right foot, and this would be, hey, we've got hard things that we have to face. You're going to work on those things. But your left foot is going to be, but you know what? We're going to go out on a date and we're going to go dancing and we're going to enjoy one another. And we're going to have some fun. And in the midst of that, we're going to keep working on some hard things that are going to come up every once in a while. And then we're going to take a day trip to the coast with a picnic and we're going to have a blast together and we're going to enjoy it. And then we're going to keep working on some of our communication stuff that needs to be fixed. And we're going to make sure that we're having intimacy in our marriage and that it's beautiful and wonderful. And in this, you're moving forward as opposed to work, 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 work. <laughs> work, right? 
How, how, does that look fun? All right, let's sign me up for that. No. And so I think this is so true of our seasons when we're going through hard things. And you might be in a season where you are really going through it. And God wants to meet you in your process, but he also wants to meet you with his compassion. He wants to meet you with his joy. He wants to meet you with his love. He wants you to get to experience and take from the fruit of his presence and his life that he has for you so that you are working on hard things, but you're also enjoying his presence and you're working on hard things, but you're pulling from the life that he has for you. And in so doing, you are not just spinning in circles on that thing as opposed to moving on a walk with Jesus. Question three, what are some tools to differentiate from reactionary responses that we pull from our past and, and, and moving to future-focused transformational choices and behaviors? What are some tools to differentiate from reactionary responses that we pull from our past and future-focused transformational choices and behavior? The example is this. I used to feel guilty for not reading my Bible every day, but then I processed out religion. I stopped reading regularly altogether for years, and that was an unhealthy pendulum swing as well. And so the recognition of going, I, I felt as I was a child to say, I had it hammered into me, you gotta read your Bible every day. And then you come into this place of freedom where Jesus is like, it's okay if you don't read your Bible every day. And you're like, whoa, Jesus, really? Are you sure? You're like, it's okay. Okay, cool, I'm not reading my Bible ever again. And you're like, wait a minute, whoa, okay. So the, your pendulum has just swung out of that. So the question is great. It's like, okay, I'm processing things. I'm coming into emotional health. I'm letting go of behavior stuff. Um, but do I just lay back and let it all go? Or how do I make good choices in that? And so the first thing I would say, is this, the question, the example was, I used to feel guilty for not reading my Bible every day. The first thing I wanna mention is this, the emotion of guilt, especially associated with your relationship with God, is a powerful, always a powerful indicator that something is off. So unrelated to this question, I just want you to hear this. If you are dealing with guilt in your life, it is a powerful indicator that something is slightly off when guilt is part of your relationship with God, okay? We are not to be people of guilt who are carrying guilt. Guilt is a pathway to shame. Shame is a suppression of who we are, and we will live in that place of shame. And so we want to make sure that guilt is not a part of our relationship with God. God should, uh, guilt should never be present as a motivating factor in our walk with him. Otherwise, what we will do is we will internalize guilt and we will internalize it into other areas of our life, or we will form judgments against ourselves, and then we will start to form judgments against others. When I live as, with guilt as a motivating factor, I start to present judgment out to other people who aren't measuring up to this impossible standard that I'm holding myself to. But people don't understand that internal, in my internal world, I'm holding myself self up to an impossible standard and then hammering myself with guilt. But what they experience is an unchanging person who is responding to them in judgment. I'm working this hard internally. Why aren't you working hard? Why are you getting away with that when I'm having to do this? And so whether we recognize it or not, guilt becomes this thing that forms judgment and it starts to impact the world around us. So the second way I would answer this question is this, be with God rather than do for God. This is from emotionally healthy spirituality. We do not wanna do things for God to get his acceptance to feel to perform or any any of these things we want to be with him so 
Speaking of what we have been raised in Christianity with, we might call this discipleship behaviors. We may recognize that we are doing the right thing for the wrong reason. So when we're looking at these discipleship behaviors that we've been given as Christians to pray, to come to church, to give financially, to memorize verses, read the Bible, to do those things, we may recognize that we are doing those things for the wrong reason. What we should do then is reform the wrong reason, not throw away the health of the things that we are doing to come to to uh, grow our relationship with Jesus so it's easy for me to remove the thing instead of reforming the wrong reason here's some tools that I would give to you tool number one would be contemplative spirituality meditating on the word rather than reading it and writing and creating in response so if we're talking about the bible as our example you were told you have to read the bible to be a good christian now you're discovering wait i don't have to read the bible i don't have to but you need to and in needing to what if you did it in a way where you weren't just doing a one-year reading plan but instead you took all those years of reading the bible religiously and you just got up in the morning and you said spirit of the living god come and meet me in this time as i meditate on your word would you bring to my mind today a verse, a scripture, a story that you want me to meditate on that's gonna be a nourishment to my soul, that's gonna be reformative to my being to become more like Jesus and is gonna show me how to respond to the world around me. And you may find that you have deposited so much scripture into you that the spirit of God is able to just talk with you and you are able to meditate more powerfully on the word than you ever have experienced it by just reading a certain segment and checking a box so that you can get through the Bible in a year. Do you see the difference to it? Do you see the beauty to it? Do you see the importance of the word, but the ability for us to approach it as the spirit leads us? So that would be a tool, a practical tool for that particular example that I would suggest trying. Okay. Tool number two, this would be proactively giving away encouragement to someone that Jesus brings to your heart. So do something tangible to express and reinforce the shifts that are happening inside of you. How do I make my change my responses from the stuff in the past to being future-oriented? I would say, as you are doing your meditating, as you are doing your prayer and you're, and you're looking at Scripture and you're responding to God, I would say, begin to give away the health and the life that you're desiring to change, to see changed around you. So let's not create a false finish line where once I've got it all together and everything is right, I will be a person who gives away. Let's give in advance. Let's give out of overflow. And let's say, if I want this particular change in my life, then I'm going to grab onto it every day. And even if it's small, I'm going to give it away to somebody else. And so in that, we are reinforcing that this is the way that I am going to live my life. And it is by the mechanism of boldness of doing the behavior that actually opens up a change in habit. Okay, so question number four. As I pursue who God is calling me to be, I am changing, and in the process, the people and the things that I used to enjoy are changing, and I talk and think differently. How do I determine who or what is appropriate to cut out or put in as the transformation continues? Let me read that one more time. It's a long question. I want to make sure you guys are engaged to it so that as I go through a lengthy uh, response, 
As I pursue who God is calling me to be, I am changing. And in the process, the people and the things I used to enjoy are changing. And I talk and think differently. How do I determine who or what is appropriate to cut out or put in as the transformation continues? So a few things I would like to say about this question. Great question. Number one. There's a difference between disappointing people and intentionally judging and cutting people out of our lives in an unhealthy way. So for us to be as an emotionally healthy spirituality indicator is that you are okay with people being disappointed in you, but you are not aggressively looking for or causing people to be disappointed in you. Right? Like, oh, I'm, I've reached this plate of some maturity. I don't care if you're mad at me. You're lame, right? No. But if I am walking into new seasons of health and that is causing me to grow away from people or in different directions and people are disappointed in me, I still sleep well at night. Emotionally healthy spirituality indicator, how well do you sleep when someone is disappointed in you? And it's a huge reality check for us to understand how much is it that I am living for the approval and the acceptance of others as opposed to being able to be like, you know what? On my journey towards health, people are gonna be disappointed in me sometimes and I'm still gonna get my sleep. And I'm okay. And that's okay, right? Because I'm not being a jerk, but I am saying this is the way that God's calling me to go and I'm confident in this journey and I'm okay with people being disappointed in me. Number two, sometimes our journey toward health means a redirection of our resources, emotional, spiritual, and relational, and that's okay. If we are moving towards health, we can maintain the relationship to a degree, the relationships around us that this person was asking about, even if that relationship is changing. Meaning, relationships don't have to end, they just transition into something else. You me, we can maintain the bridges of relationship. We can keep the bridges up. We just may use them a lot less. We're not looking for reasons to cut people out of our lives. We're taking care of these relational connections. We're taking care of these bridges, but we may not walk across them as often, right? So not all relationships are meant to last forever. Hear me. Some of your friendships are going to change from season to season as your passion changes or as your connection changes and you begin to pursue different things or go after health in certain areas. There may be people who don't make that journey with you and that's okay. They were a beautiful friendship for that season. You don't have to cut them off and kick them out. You grow into the things that God has for you and you maintain those connections to the best of your ability while not pouring in a ton of emotional energy because you're afraid of them being, what? Disappointed in you. It's okay. So, um, hold relationships with an open hand and if they grow apart, so be it. So, in extreme cases, in reference to this question, in extreme questions, cases where cutting someone away from our life is necessary, please do it with boundaries and not rejection. So here's how boundaries work. To grow new relationships with people that have been in our life a long time, and maybe we have some unhealthy ways of interaction, we are going to create a boundary now with that person. The way that we do this is by stepping back from that relationship for a season and creating some space or what we would call differentiation, okay? And so as we take back that step, 
space, we now create a boundary as we step back towards that person. We create a boundary, but the boundary is you don't get access to my life any way that you want or maybe the way that you have before, but here is a gate right here, and this gate is open to you, and it says kindness and respect over the top of the gate. So as long as you come into this gate with kindness and respect, you can come into this part of my life. And if you choose not to use the gate correctly, then we will gently nudge you out of the gate. We will remind you of the boundary. We will latch the gate for a season and after we feel that the season is appropriate, not as a punitive punishment, but as a protection of ourselves, we will reopen that gate and invite them back in through whatever I said that gate was called, kindness and compassion or something. Yeah, kindness and respect, of course. Okay, so we step back, we establish the boundary through clear communication. This is the boundary. And we establish the opening invitation for people to be able to come in to our life. So number four part of this question, if you have existed in a passive aggressive, codependent or toxic relationship, emotion, relational, emotional or spiritual ecosystem, your recognition of it and your desire to change will be perceived as a threat to the established way. So the question was, as I pursue God, I'm changing and the people that I'm around is changing. How do I do that? Look, there will be situations where the place that you have grown is so backwards or toxic or confused that when you stand in health, instead of people going, oh my goodness, thank you for bringing a healthy example into our family, let's follow this example. They go, why are you ruining the family? And so we have to be okay with the fact that when we stand for health and when that journey with Jesus begins to lead us into healthy things, we're not cutting people off. We're not locking gates, but there is a chance that health in the atmosphere of dishealth, unhealth, is often, instead of being perceived as a good thing, is going to be perceived as a threat. And you will watch people turn into the victim and they will make you the perpetrator of this crime against the marriage or the family or whatever it is. So be prepared. Thank you, sir. It's a good response, right? A good answer. <laughs> be prepared to be villainized and for people to paint themselves as the victim. How do we counteract this? Find people who are journeying in the same direction as you. And I know it's an overused phrase, but I'll say it going after. Find people who are journeying in the same direction as you and going after the same things as you. And I know that you guys, if you are seeing relationships changing and you have grief that some of those relationships are changing and you're watching some family relationships crumble, make sure, please make sure that you are reaching out into your friendships and the community that is around you and find Finding people that will say, we may not be family and we see that you're going through a terrible time with your family. We aren't trying to replace your family, but we are here with you in this journey towards health. And God is going to bring you, bring people around your life to help you walk out of toxic relational ecosystems that you have found yourself in by placing you into a family and placing you into a tribe, into a community. And so you hear me talk about up here, a lot of times I have a lot of funny things to say about church and religion and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, but why do you do this then? It's because I love church. I love this so deeply. When it is done right, it provides the atmosphere for us to be brave and take huge risk in some of these places where God is calling us into health and still be surrounded 
surrounded by imperfect people, but who are also going on the same journey. And we are in this together. So when church is done wrong, it can be extremely damaging. But when church is done right, it is the most beautiful thing. Because when I say church, I mean community. When I talk about that body of Christ, I'm not talking about all the religious stuff we put on it, but I'm talking about the beauty of a of a tribe of people, a group of people from all different walks of life who would champion and celebrate one another when we're walking through some of these hard things that we have to do within different relationships or different journeys that God's called us to. This truly, and I believe this with all of my heart and it's why I'm here, I truly believe that church done well can be one of the most healthy places in our entire lives and it can be the catalyst that we need to do the things that Jesus is asking us to do. So, Okay, question five. How do you navigate a marriage in which your spouse cannot share their emotions? Uh, for, for example, you guys are, is there giggling? Are you guys giggling? Because of emotional blockage in our relationship, it's been difficult for us to get on the same page about parenting, intimacy, communication, and just day-to-day household duties. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but I think that we all find a lot of familiarity in this question, okay? We can all... The reason I think we're, we're laughing a little bit is because there's like, oh, yeah, uh-huh. Okay, I get this. So here's what I would say. How do you navigate a marriage in which your spouse cannot share their emotions? Here's my, here's my encouragement to you. Direct communication that isn't a demand or an ultimatum, but is an articulation of impact, desire, and expectation. Impact, desire, and expectation. Impact. How do I communicate impact? This is how I would do it. This isn't working for us. Our lack of emotional connection and meaningful communication is draining the life out of me, out of us, and it is leaving me feeling disappointed and unfulfilled in marriage. This isn't working, and I won't willingly live below what we can be together. Our lack is impacting us. That's the first step. The second step is this, articulate desire. My desire is for us to be connected and open. My desire is for us both to feel safe and alive by sharing more of ourselves. My desire is a thriving marriage and for both of us to be all in as we forge a new way of doing marriage that isn't predetermined by our emotional blockages of our pasts. And then I state an expectation. My expectation is that we will both work to come to a place of vulnerability and health in our emotional maturity, our responses. Our marriage isn't working as is, but my expectation is that we work to make it the best it can be. Then you get to work on the things that God is asking you to get to work on. So as you are communicating the impact that this is having the desire that you have and the expectation and your willingness to do the work. That is not a solution. That's not gonna make everything better, but it gives you a starting point. I find that one of the major things that is inhibiting most people's marriages is that they will not look each other in the eye and simply say, this is not working for me. Because they have been taught that to say this is not working for me is what? Absolute rejection and you are door number one is divorce. That's not it. To be able to own relational breakdown and say this isn't working for me in a way that is invitational, that comes with explanation of impact, explanation of desire, and articulation of expectation is a powerful way to begin the process 
Not a solution, not gonna make it all better. Begin the process. There has to be a point where you're able to say, I'm sorry, whether it's me or you or us or whatever, we can do better. This isn't working for me. And to be able to do that without fear, that, that means, oh, it's all over. It's not all over. It's just beginning. Please, like you, like, hear me. So many of us, some of us, a few of us, I don't know, we need to end our current marriages. They are not healthy. They are done. And I'm not saying that you are divorcing that person. I'm saying that your marriage as it exists needs to be laid down on the altar and put to death and say, we want a new marriage. We are, we are tired of living in this marriage that is not bringing life and gratification and health and hope to either of us. And I'm not suggesting you divorce the person, but I am saying, how about we fight for a new marriage by admitting to one another that the one that you're in may not be all that it's cracked up to be. It may be on the end. And in the end, is a beautiful opportunity for it to be reborn. Why? Because when Jesus is present, anything that is ending in us relationally or that we're letting go of comes with the opportunity for him to touch it and bring it back, bring life back into it. Amen? Okay, so how do you go through a period of pain and disappointment and grief and anger at God and, and deconstruction and stay healthy? Uh, I, you know, honestly, I don't know if staying healthy the whole time is really the goal. Um, so I would say this. We've talked about this a lot. Find people who walked with a limp. When Jacob wrestled God all night long, God put his hip out of place and he walked out of that a completely changed man. He'd wrestled with God and he had a limp for the rest of his life. Find people that you can walk with. Um, you can't run with them, right? Because they got a limp. Um, so find people that you can walk with who have a limp because they've been through difficulty. They've been through the long night of doubt. They've been through the long night of mystery. They've been through the long night of grief and they've come out the other side, not with a perfect relationship with God, not like, oh, I'm totally healthy, but they have this thing of saying, I I have been face to face with God in the midst of this and I'm walking it out with this limp not trying to hide it run from people who in their religion have a limp but won't let you see it run with people who do have a limp get with them and follow them and bring your bring bring your pain and your it's hurting and it's out of out of joint a little bit bring that to the journey let's walk this out together Number two, don't judge other people's journey of faith. One unhealthy facet of deconstruction, as it is a pop term now, is I, that I see is pride. So don't judge other people's journeys of faith. They may never have a bridge watch, washed out from under their life like you did. They may, may never have to go through the difficulty or the hard things that you do. They may be able to live in this beautiful assurance of faith that is different than your story. Man, celebrate that and let, let them have that childlike faith and don't judge other people's faith journey. Number three, when it comes to deconstruction, we should be deconstructing, deconstructing our religious mechanisms and our oversimplifications that we've been given, given. We are not deconstructing our faith in Jesus. The act of deconstructing, deconstructing should be taking off things and so that we can see Jesus more clearly. 
If you imagine with me the Eiffel Tower, and as they built the Eiffel Tower and put it all together, they had these, you've seen the pictures, just incredible amounts of scaffolding. Imagine if they got it all done and they left the scaffolding there. Oh, look at this, this is beautiful, right? No, you have to take all of the scaffolding down so that you can appreciate the beauty of it. And so when we're in a childlike place, we are often told, this is how you follow Jesus. This is what you do. This is what it looks like. And as we're being formed, some of that stuff is, is old scaffolding, scaffolding that is, that is helping us to grow, but is not necessary or sensitive to our faith and where we find ourselves today is with this Christian religion or this Christian relationship and we look at it and all we see is all of these rules and religious mechanisms and deconstruction is let's go take the scaffolding down around your life so that the person of Jesus can be revealed through you so that we can see Jesus clearly instead of all of the scaffolding so deconstruction if you're deconstructing your relationship with Jesus, don't call it deconstruction, call it disobedience. I'm, no, I'm sorry. Whoa. I am sorry. I'm kidding. Gosh, you guys. If you're deconstructing your relationship with Jesus, that's something entirely different. Don't call it deconstruction. We can talk about what that is. We won't call it disobedience. That's just me being a jerk. If we're deconstructing something, let it be we're deconstructing the stuff around our faith that isn't Jesus, that needs to be removed so that we can see Jesus clearly. Okay, good. You guys, are you back with me or did I offend everybody and you're all done? All right. How does an emotionally healthy person respond to the bad thing happening to a good person? How does a God who is all-powerful let bad things happen? It seems to, to set me, this is as an example of the person asking the question, it seems to set me into fear for my life and fear for my loved ones. I get triggered into my childhood when I feel unsafe and the whole world feels chaotic. How does one emotionally, how does an emotionally healthy person respond to that feeling? And to that I would say, um, just like that. That is how an emotionally healthy person responds. When bad things happen, it sets me into fear for my life and fear for my loved one's life. One, you recognize what has now taken place. When you feel out of control, you are recognizing what has taken place, number one. Number two, you are able to articulate why you feel that way because you said right here, I get triggered into my childhood when I felt unsafe and everything felt out of control. That is how an emotionally healthy person responds to bad things happening to good people. If you think that an emotionally healthy person responds to good, bad things happening to good people by being like, well, I am just so secure in my faith that I feel nothing about this. That's not emotionally healthy spirituality. It's that this did in fact happen. And I do in fact have questions. And I do in fact have disappointment. And I do in fact have anger toward God who could control this, who could have changed this, who could have done something. But if I am told an emotionally healthy person doesn't feel those things, they put them away and ignore them, that's not emotionally healthy. Emotionally healthy is I feel this, I am in this, this has happened. My faith is shaken. I'm struggling with mystery. I don't have all the answers. And that reminds me of how I felt when I was a child and my life was out of control. And while God may not want to meet you and change that circumstance that's made you feel that way, I promise you that if you're emotionally healthy enough to understand what your trigger is, is that therein lies an invitation to go to that place and go, I can't, I'm not gonna change and fix this circumstance, but I can meet this child. 
That's the invitation. So that is how an emotionally healthy person responds to the question of why does bad things happen to good people? Because we don't know and we don't have to know. If you imagine emotional health as stoicism or constant peace, you're imagining a spirituality devoid of reality. Jesus said to us, in this life you will have trouble, and I'm telling you this so that you will have peace. It is not that it just is a skip to peace. It is that we have the words of Jesus that's saying, yes, this is part of what I mentioned. It hurts, and there's trouble, and you will feel unsafe. But I want you to have something deeper than just everything being perfect. I want you to experience my peace in the midst of it. For us to experience Jesus' peace in the midst of it, we get to have his healing presence at the core of why we are triggered into what we're feeling. Question eight, I am stuck in a cycle. Why do I keep hitting the same patch again and again? This is one that Drew handles so well, and so I'm gonna to keep this one brief. I'm gonna use his example of, he has talked with us over the years about the things that we are hitting, and it feels like if you draw a circle, you have this big thing that you're going through, and you get through the other side, and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm through it, and then life brings you on a, on a circle journey, and then boom, you're hitting it again, and you're like, oh my gosh, here I am again, and then you get through it, and you figure it out, and boom, you hit it again, and you hit it again, and you hit it again, and you feel like, I must be caught in this exact same cycle over and over and over and over, but if you take that picture of a circle, and you imagine it as, a, instead of just a static circle that you're going in a, around a, a lap. Think of it as a spring. And as I turn that spring, you see this thing that's happening over and over and over again. But as I turn it, that you've gone from here to here to here to here to here to here to here. And while you're, you are encountering that same thing, God in his kindness is not making you stay in it until you're completely broken. But with the strength that he has given you, you're able to process some of it and then move on and then come around and it may manifest in a different way and you're now aware of it. And you can go through it with him and again and again and again. And it becomes a story of progression rather than just being stuck in the same process over and over and over again. And I love that as, a, as just an analogy of how we can look at this, is that God is faithful to continue to bring us through the things that he needs to bring us through. Question nine. When the Lord peels back another layer of something you thought you'd already healed from, how do you heal and move forward? This is similar to question eight, and there's a couple things that I wanted to say. One, we're all in this cycle that you mentioned. When the Lord peels back another layer of something you thought you'd already healed from, how do you heal and move forward? We're all in this cycle. It's called pruning. Okay, and I'm done. Okay, number two, ask yourself this. Are you in a season of surgery or are you in a season of rehab? If things are coming up again, am I getting ready to have surgery done on me or I am in a season of rehab? I think the difference is this, is that God is preparing to do a deep surgery on a place in your life, is that he will pull back a lot of stuff from you and you will feel your life getting very small and pretty quiet and you'll be like, okay, Lord, we're going into a season of surgery. You're gonna, you're gonna do a deeper work on something in my life. Now, after that season of surgery, you come out the other side and you're doing well. There is now a journey of rehab where God will be giving you opportunity to experience health in that area. And so by inviting you back into that same area, he is not keeping you caught in the cycle. He is actually giving you an invitation to see the health manifest in a similar situation that before would have derailed you. Does, does that make sense? So it's not just like, oh, you're stuck here. He's actually saying you've been through surgery. You're now in rehab. You get to test out 
this new perspective, this new life, this new way I have given you to respond. And so, yes, you may find yourself in a similar situation, but it's not just a repeated cycle. It's an opportunity for health to manifest. Does that make sense? Okay, so... Number 10, we're doing it. The countdown is on. Number 10, and this one's important and I'm glad that we made it here. How do I not let a quest for emotional health turn into overthinking my faith, my life, my emotions and every single stinking thing that's going on inside of me? So listen, this is so true. Emotionally healthy spirituality. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, can we stop with just like looking into our emotions all the time? All we're going to be doing is we're going to be sitting here like overthinking every single thing that we feel and why we feel it. And how are we going to have any opportunity to be effective people within our society? Because we're constantly like, I wonder which childhood trauma that's associated with. And I'm, it's probably my lack of this. And it's probably my lack of that. And you're like, oh, get over it and just get out there and live your life. Right? So how do we say, I want to be emotionally healthy. I want to be emotionally healthy, but I don't want to overthink my faith. So the goal of emotionally healthy spirituality is to become more like Jesus, not hyper fixated on your feelings, not hyper fixated on your wounds or your lack of healthy upbringing or whatever it is. We are to become more like Jesus. And I believe that in the act of becoming, the invitation of becoming more like Jesus is that our roots go down deep into his love and that our inner man grows strong from the roots that are in Jesus. And so we have this invitation of our inner person growing strong by paying attention to where we are rooted. And if I am rooted in broken emotional systems, if I am rooted in incorrect beliefs, if I am drawing my sustenance, my spiritual and emotional sustenance from anything other than Jesus, the result of it will not be the fruit of the Spirit and Christ-likeness. The fruit of it will be systems that are being repeated and perpetuated from my family of origin or my trauma or my past or my past beliefs. And so what we want is to become more like Jesus, not to just fixate on all of those particular things. He isn't looking for every little thing. He's looking for the ones that keep you stuck or are causing you or others pain. And, and I think that that's where we're going to stop. So he's, he isn't looking for every little thing. He's looking for the ones that are keeping you stuck or causing you pain. The other day, Kate and I were fly fishing and we had to go through blackberry bushes. And, um, and as we went through blackberry bushes, we had a long series of this sort of thing where I would be like, oh, and then I would be like, can you get, can you get that one for me? And she would pull it off and then I would move and I would hold it and then she would come and then she would get caught and then I would help her move that and then we would get, we made it to the river and we fished terribly. And so then... <laughs> I was thinking about this is like Jesus wants to remove from you the things that are sticking in you and keeping you from moving forward. And I could just drag forward. I could do that, end up with cuts and torn clothes, or I could be, be conscious of the process of sometimes taking a step back, unhooking something, and then being able to move forward. And so the thing that I want us to recognize in emotionally healthy spirituality is that he is not caught up on every single thing. You are not a project to him. He's not trying to fix everything, but he is trying to take you into a place of health of the things that are hurting you, causing you to be stuck or hurting others around you. And for us to be Christ-like is to allow the fullness of his life to come 
out of us. And so I will close with this. Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This is the reality of what should be coming out of our emotional health. This is not a list of things for us to behave in. This is the reality of saying, when I am one with Jesus and my roots are deep into him, this is the spiritual health and the emotional health that will be coming out of me. Amen? Amen. All right, so there you go. Emotionally healthy spirituality all wrapped up and done. You can now move on and you don't have to think about it anymore. Enjoy your Sunday. We love you guys. Woo.